Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 132, Rot and Riot, Part 1. The music for the intro and outro for this podcast is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. Now, for the past few months, it seems uh, that the episodes were all about Shakespeare, or as we may say in in the South, uh, my recent medical unpleasantness. But now Celebrate Poe is back to its original subject. Edgar Allan Poe. Today I initially wanted to talk about Poe's life immediately after leaving the University of Virginia and his sudden journey to Boston, but I ran into a great book by the name of Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Mr. Jefferson's Struggle to Save the University that Changed America by Rex Bowman and Carlos Santos. Rot, Riot, and Rebellion looks at the first days of the University of Virginia from a slightly different perspective, certainly dealing with Poe, but uh, concentrating more on some of the sordid aspects of the university's initial days, aspects that certainly influenced the young Poe. So, for this and the following episode, I'd like to draw heavily from Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Mr. Jefferson's Struggle to Save the University that Changed America. And uh, to help me, uh, well, I'd like to introduce the ghost of Mr. Poe. I've been having some problems with the sound level of the ghost, but please give me a break. Think of it from this perspective. Ghosts don't always have the best sound quality. Most of the time you get all, the only thing you get is a scream or a boo. But then again, this is Edgar Allan Poe, and you would expect him to be articulate. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. Well, hello, Mr. Poe. Now, I know that uh, I was hoping you could talk about your return to Boston and your first published book today, but I think it's a little bit more important to cover some more about your life at the University of Virginia from a slightly different perspective. Yes, uh, uh, my understanding was that I would talk today about life after I left the University of Virginia, but I certainly will respect your wishes. Uh, anyone has the right to change his or her mind, and, and after all, it is, is your podcast. Thank you for your understanding, Mr. Poe. You see, I recently ran into a source by the name of Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Mr. Jefferson's Struggle to Save the University that Changed America by Rex Bowman. Uh, This is a book that eloquently examines the initial years of the university from a slightly different perspective. Ah, I could see that 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 might be highly informative. Yes, Mr. Bartley, but before I further discuss my my time at the University of Virginia, I believe it would be most germane to introduce the topic of the relationship between Miss Elmira Shelton and myself, or should I say Miss Elmira Royster and myself.
Yes, I quite agree, but you must admit that the exact details of so personal a relationship are often disputed. One must agree that that is often true of history. Various writers might have different perspectives, uh, even different views of what they consider the facts regarding what actually occurred. So the reader, historian, or evaluator must recognize that reality and do their best. But getting back to the subject of Miss Elmira... Yes, I must admit now, whether I was fully cognizant of the fact at the time is another matter, that I was on what you might call an extremely insecure foundation in the Allen household. I was probably just beginning to realize it, although I did not know it at the time or to what extent. Mr. Poe, you you probably did not want to admit the actual extent of those feelings of insecurity. Quite possibly. And, And now that you mention it, my serenity may have been disturbed by my feelings for my dear Elmira. I thought you loved her, or or am I wrong? Oh, I, I definitely loved her. But a part of me was to later believe that her father felt I was not good enough for her, that I had no future because John Allen did not consider me his rightful heir. That must have been terrible for you. Mr. Bartley, I believe that the words I have before me written by Miss Elmira, best describe her feelings. May I be permitted to read them? Certainly. By all means, go ahead. Edgar was a beautiful boy, not very talkative. When he did talk, though he was pleasant, but his general manner was sad. He was devoted to Mrs. Allen and she to him. Our acquaintance was kept up until he left to go to the university, and during the time he was at the university, he wrote to me frequently, but my father intercepted the letters because we were too young, no other reason. He never addressed any poems to me. It distresses me to see anything written in a scurrilous manner in regard to him, Don't believe one-tenth part of what they say, a great part caused by jealousy and envy. I have the greatest respect for his memory. He he was very generous. On Church Hill, a, a female acquaintance called to see me and made a coarse remark. And Poe said, I am surprised you should associate with, with anyone who would make such a remark. He had strong prejudices, hated anything coarse and unrefined, never spoke of his parents. He was kind to his sister as far as in his power. He was as warm and zealous in any cause that he was interested in, very enthusiastic and impulsive. I was about 15 or 16 when he first addressed me and I engaged myself to him, and I was not aware that he wrote me until I was married to Mr. Shelton when I was 17. 
In other words, she wrote letters to you at the university, but the father intercepted them. And the father also intercepted the letters that you wrote her. So it would appear to both of you that the person whom you loved had somehow lost interest. That is a, a, is a fair assessment. We both found out what actually occurred without declarations of love, but then it was too late. Miss Elmira Royster had married the extremely wealthy Mr. Shelton. I'm sure her father was happy with that arrangement. I believe that that is a fair conclusion, but perhaps this calls for a bit of review. You see, Mr. Allen's actions at this time certainly communicated to those who knew him that John Allen had definitely improved his circumstances. One must understand that when the death of Mr. Allen's uncle, William Galt, occurred in March of 1825, that death made his nephew a rich man. Mr. Allen took or resumed that prominent place in Richmond's social life which his own and Mrs. Allen's fondness for entertainment prompted. By 1825, the neighborhood of Fifth and Main Streets had become fully established as a fashionable quarter of town. The house, torn down in the 90s, had two lofty stories, with wide porches and, and high ceilings. When John Allen purchased the house, there were not many buildings in the neighborhood, and the lot was, was an ample one. My room on the second floor, northeast corner, therefore gave me a most charming view of the river and the surrounding country. On the wide porch stood a telescope, brought from England by John Allen, from which I learned my first lessons in stargazing. Mr. Poe, our listeners might not be aware that one of your last works was an essay by the name of Eureka, your attempt to explore the universe. Do you feel that's an accurate description? Mr. Bartlett, I believe that even a cursory examination of Eureka will require at least several episodes. In Eureka, I wrote, Because nothing was, therefore all things are. I also discuss man's relationship to God and the universe. Sounds very ambitious to me. At the beginning of a Eureka, I state I designed to speak of the physical, metaphysical, and mathematical, of the material and spiritual universe, of its essence, its origin, its creation, uh, its present condition, and its destiny. That space and duration are one, and that matter and spirit are made of the same essence. I believe that people have a natural tendency to believe in themselves as, as infinite with nothing greater than their soul. Such thoughts stem from man's residual feelings from oh, when each shared an original identity with God. Ultimately, individual consciousness will collapse back into a similar single mass, a, a final ingathering, as one might say, where the myriads of individual intelligences become blended. 
Whoa there, uh, I didn't mean to start discussing Eureka in this episode. Definitely not yet. I just wanted to point out that perhaps that telescope that you used on the second floor somehow kindled your interest in stars and the universe, an interest that would develop into Eureka. I think that some of the ideas in Eureka are going to require a bit more effort to unpack. But but getting back to that period of my life, it was obvious that, unlike John Allen, I, I did not love money for its own sake. I had seen John Allen prosper, become bankrupt, and rise again to wealth. While there could hardly have been a temptation for me at any time to enter John Allen's business house, my determination to pursue my own course as a creative artist may well have justified itself to him by his memory of the disturbed days between 1822 and 1825, when the Allen household must have been a good illustration of the transitory nature of the dollar. You know, Mr. Poe, my personal belief is that John Allen would have preferred that you engage in the study of law or some other orderly profession. I quite agree, but 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 I believe I knew, at least on some level, that I was destined to be a creative person. While I may not have fully understood it at the time, at the University of Virginia, I was entering a new environment whose very foundation was independent from guidance and restraint. And that makes a, a great segue into the book Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Mr. Jefferson's struggle to save the university that changed America. Now, the book Rot, Riot, and Rebellion points out, Mr. Poe, that you were one of the youngest students to arrive at the university during your time of attendance. That would be during the university's second year of operation. I believe that uh, was 1826, Yes, Mr. Bartley, and like most students, I traveled over an extremely, extremely rough series of roads and ragged paths. It took over 12 hours to ride the 60 miles from Richmond to Charlottesville by horseback. Excuse me, I somehow was under the impression that the journey did not take as long. My bad. If you're my bad means you are admitting a mistake, then I accept your apology, I, I think. Yes, uh, my bad basically means that you're admitting a mistake. Mr. Bartley, I will overlook your clumsiness with the English language. Well, thank you, Mr. Poe. But getting back to the journey from my home in Richmond to Charlottesville, I must point out that often rough-hewn tree trunks served as footbridges over what seemed like a never-ending series of streams and rivers. The town of Charlottesville, for that is the side of the university, is located in the center of the rolling hills and mountains of Albemarle County. 
Mr. Poe, would you happen to know what the general population of Albemarle County was during the time that you attended the university? Ah, yes, during those days, Albemarle County had a population of approximately 9,000 whites and 11,500 black slaves. In other words, what we might refer to as members of the enslaved population. Yes, and, and one must remember that Albemarle County was a collection of small homes, busy hotels, taverns, a courthouse, and a stone jail. One might say that this was the bustling and noisy center of an otherwise sleepy frontier. Blacksmiths hammered and wagons trundled, trundled through town while gristmills ground corn and wheat. Crowds gathered at the courthouse to watch courtroom dramas unfold. The scream of sawmills split the air, which was filled with smoke and the pungent smell of distilleries and tanneries. Mr. Poe, that's a very picturesque description. Yes, at one level, uh, Albemarle County was what you might refer to as, as a most charming area. And hopefully, the recently established university was a place where you could really stand out. Au contraire, Mr. Bartley, at Mr. Jefferson's school, I quite rapidly became just, just one of the crowd, drinking and gambling and occasionally skirting the rules. And while I was not one to bloody my own knuckles, I witnessed many brawls during my months at the University of Virginia. Many of those brawls could only be described as, as quite gruesome. Mr. Jefferson's intentions may have been to establish a pristine academic paradise, but the reality was a school of frequent rot and riots. Mr. Poe, it would seem, uh, it would seem to me that uh, those brutal fights that you saw, saw up close may have influenced some of the brutal fiction that you were to later write. Uh, I know you wrote letters home mentioning some of your observations regarding life at the university, and some of those letters even included accounts of your, uh, how should I, I put it, your, your, your classmates in combat. Would you care to read from this letter you wrote to John Allen on September the 21st, 1826, when you were just 17? Certainly. Thank you. <clears throat> Is that, that what you humans do before you start speaking? Sometimes. <clears throat> then I will proceed. We, we have had a great many fights up here lately. The, the, the faculty expelled Wycliffe last night for general bad conduct, but more especially for biting one of the students' arms with whom he was fighting. I saw the whole affair. It took, it took place before my door. Wycliffe was much the stronger, but not content with that. After getting the other completely in his power, he began to bite. I saw the arm afterwards, 
and it was really a serious matter. It was bitten from the shoulder to the elbow, and it is likely that pieces of flesh as large as my hand will be obliged to be cut out. He is from Kentucky, the same one that was in suspension when you were up here some time ago. Oh, give my love to Ma and Miss Nancy. Thank you, Mr. Poe. I believe I mentioned in an earlier episode that at least one of your rooms at the university was number 13, located on what was called the Western Range. Yes, Mr. Bartley. Mr. Jefferson had had laid out his campus in four orderly rows of dorms that ran on the north-to-south axis. Now, one row of 28 student rooms faced the grassy expanse called the lawn from the west, and a nearly identical row of 26 faced the lawn from the east. A covered walkway ran along the front of the lawn rooms, and that walkway was supported by rows of of stately pillars. Parallel to the row of lawn rooms were the range rooms, which faced outward, away from the lawn. I'm trying to visualize this. My, My room at number 13 faced a field where today the school's main libraries or libraries are located. Interspersed among the lawn rooms were, were ten pavilions where the professors lived. Interspersed among the range rooms were the six hotels where students ate their meals. At the north end of the lawn stood the Grand Rotunda. And unless I'm mistaken, that rotunda was modeled on Rome's pantheon. You are correct in that that observation, Mr. Bartley. The rotunda at the University of Virginia was modeled on Rome's pantheon. And again, unless I'm mistaken, the pantheon in Rome was first a Roman temple, later a Catholic church, and one of the few classical buildings that has been in almost continuous use. The rotunda at the University of Virginia provided space for the library, or the library and lecture halls. One might say that the rotunda served as the heart and spiritual center of the University of Virginia. The story has been told uh, that uh, while Mr. Jefferson had obsessed over the appearance of the university and certainly was quite familiar with its structure, he once opened a pavilion door to leave only to find himself stepping into a closet. Yes, this, this incident was said to have occurred, again, despite Mr. Jefferson's intimate familiarity with the layout of the University of Virginia. But how would you personally describe the physical and sensory appearance of the university? That would require a rather complex and even somewhat contradictory explanation. I think you're up to the task, Mr. Poe. Initially, I I feel it is important to point out that there was no escaping the grittiness of the early 19th century. 
The lawn at the university was a rugged, 200-foot-wide, stony slope of ragged grass and dirt where cows, pigs, sheep, chickens, and wild dogs roamed and defecated. The privies, located between the range and lawn rooms, stank a stench beyond description. I would imagine that this obnoxious aroma would be even more intense during the heat of the Charlottesville summers. Yes, Mr. Botley, that, that is an understatement. And, and crowds of, of slave children hung around the complex. Dust rose from the nearby road that ran between the school and Charlottesville. The university had more than two hundred hearths. Black chimney smoke blew across the university. I would not be surprised to learn that you had a problem with flies at the university. Oh, yes. Swarms of flies would swarm around the piles of garbage tossed out from the hotel kitchens. The pungent odor of the school stables was 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 inescapable. If if I may be, uh, well, be be permitted to be somewhat indelicate, did uh, students and professors realize the importance of cleanliness? In, in what respect? Mainly in respect to bathing. Oh, no. <laughs> the vast majority of students, as well as professors, bathed infrequently. They shared a small bathhouse outside the immediate area of the lawn located near a whipping post for slaves. That is disgusting. Well, I tell you, on that note, let's end episode one dealing with rot, riot, and rebellion. Part 2 examines such areas as Poe's gambling debts, the death of Thomas Jefferson, and further rot, riot, and rebellion during the early days of the University of Virginia. Then after the second part of Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Celebrate Poe will begin a series of episodes for the month of October dealing with Halloween. Halloween's origins, development, and a look at some of Mr. Poe's writings that are often viewed as having a connection to Halloween and its symbols. Sources include Rot, Riot, and Rebellion, Mr. Jefferson's Struggle to Save the University That Changed America by Rex Bowman and Carlos Santos, Poe in Place by Philip Edward Phillips, and New Glimpses of Poe by James A. Harrison. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the life, times, and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.